everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but Foodie married Beast anyway, and together we've got the Food and Wine Variety Show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on a gorgeous spring weekend here in Washington. Uh, we have a great show for you, uh, but Nick, first, let's catch everybody up on what's going on out there and the incredible dinner we had last night. Oh, so we went to the brand new restaurant. Yes, even in the pandemic, restaurants are opening up. We went to The Point, which is a brand new restaurant from Great Caston and the team at ProFish. It is gorgeous. It is on Buzzards Point, which is a brand new development for the DC area. Eventually, Buzzards Point, the wharf, and the Navy Yard are all going to connect via a huge boardwalk. The whole waterfront in DC is going to be walkable. But the restaurant is ginormous. Ben Lambert is the chef. There's an amazing grill. There's going to be sushi, fabulous fish, and of course, all of that incredible Ivy City smoked house fish. I did not see buzzard on the menu, though. I was very next time. Unhappy. Next time we'll get the buzzard. Okay. Anyway, so that's one of the new openings. If you go to the openings on the list or you want it.com, of course you'll find out about all the latest and greatest in restaurant openings. But I do want to remind people about a couple of things happening in and around the DC area. First of all, don't forget Mother's Day is coming up. And this is one of those holidays that you really need to get on early, especially if you're not comfortable yet eating in a restaurant. Um, and you want to bring it in, all these restaurants are doing fabulous offerings for mom this year, but you do need to get in early on it. Earth Day is coming up. You want to start packing a picnic and going out. Love again. your mother. All that is on the site. Uh, and lastly, um, chefs around the D.C. metro area are raising funds uh, for a variety of charities that will uh, put a stop to racism and hate in the D.C. metro area. Danny Lee, um, Eric Yang, Tim Ma, Kevin Tian are just some of the chefs who are creating these incredible fundraising dinners. Uh, we did Chefs Stopping uh, AAPI Hate Dinner last week with Kevin Tian. This week we're going to Anjou to uh, help raise funds for Embrace Race with Danny Lee. Mike Rafiti is doing a months long, no, multi-month long event with chefs from all over the country. Um, so if you have the money and you can uh, invest, I highly recommend you do. Boy, that was good. Yeah, thanks. All right. Okay. So, uh, as usual, we're going to start the show off with Mitch Berliner from Central Farm Markets. He's got a special announcement. Paul Dom, uh, back in the day, Paul was the brains behind Brain Food. He's moved on. He's launched uh, with, with partners an online wine biz. These are wines that are not available through other retailers, uh, and they're delivered to your door. So, we're going to hear all about that. It's called Widget Wine. <laughs> Which widget? All right. Uh, next up after Paul is a really inspiring story. Uh, Jasmine Norton is the owner of Baltimore's Urban Oyster. She's the only black female owner of an oyster bar in the country. She had to close her brick and mortar during COVID, uh, but she pivoted and she continues to thrive by operating out of a ghost kitchen. You're going to hear her story. Uh, another inspiring COVID pivot and survive story. Uh, Jennifer Ernest and Jamie Ivaniak uh, lost one of the South's largest events businesses. And their restaurant, uh, it's Jacksonville's Chef, Chef's Garden Catering and Events. Uh, but with million, millions down the drain and looking at disaster, they pivoted. They started a hugely successful online cooking business. We're going to hear all about that. 
And uh, lastly, you know the man, you know the legend, top chef and restaurateur Spike Mendelson has launched yet another business that has huge wow factor. Uh, along with his restaurants, he's uh, teamed with Van Meter Homes, very prestigious, to design state-of-the-art uh, uh, kitchens for their homes. So that's pretty cool. Uh, let's go to Mitch Berliner. Mitch, are you there? I am. Can you hear me, boys and girls? We can. We hey, can. Mitch. So tell us, 10 years, Pike and Rose. I mean, so much has changed at Pike and Rose because when you launched that farmer's market, it was just the Pike, right? Yeah, right. There was no Rose. We got that exactly. 10 years ago, this is our 10th year anniversary. Boy, am I getting old. Anyway, mm -hmm. we, you are indeed correct. We were originally in the parking lot in front of the Toys R Us, for any of you that remember that. Washington institution. And uh, then we got moved off of the grounds during construction. We came back a few years ago and this is our 10th anniversary. And we were going to have more, some of our same usual, all of our usual terrific farmers and artisan food producers and some new ones. We have a Montgomery County, all organic cut flour vendor, mm -hmm. Uh, coming, which is terrific, and a few other prepared foods. So we are really excited that we'll be opening next Saturday, Pike and Rose at 9 o'clock. Come and visit. Well, Mitch, let's just quickly ask, over the last 10 years, um, has the, I mean, I know you moved around because they did all that construction there, and now that development is really stunning um, aesthetically, like it's so pretty. But um Tell us, just like, did you start with a much smaller group of vendors? Have you grown tremendously over the years? Is there any real high points you, you'd like to celebrate? Um, well, we just want to celebrate all our patrons, actually, and the vendors who, you know, had to put up with being moved around during construction. So our hats off to all of them. <laughs> Obviously, we have um, more vendors and farmers uh, than we have in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and we have uh, several here because when you opened, you didn't have spirits and beer, you didn't have charcuterie, you didn't have all the you know the the meat crafters and all the mix. So you've got produce, you've got meats, you've got fruits, you've got mm -hmm. cheeses, you've got all of that stuff. And it's a, a trip to Pike and Rose or any of your markets. And I want you to tell everybody where they are. Is uh, it's it's a shopping trip. It's a whole you know shop for the week. Yes. Experience. So Indeed. we got to tell Indeed. everybody where the markets are, Mitch. Right. And by the way, you can also come to all three of our markets, which you can find at centralfarmmarkets.com and get the freshest fish from ProFish. You just oh. spoke about it on your introduction. They are at all three of our markets with a huge selection of fish. And we have the first soft shells of the season. Tomorrow, so I mean today, Sunday. So come on and see us for that. And the first asparagus of the season. So we're in downtown Bethesda every Sunday year round on the Bethesda Elementary School parking lot. We are in Northern Virginia, our Nova yep. Market. At we gotta church. go. Okay. Okay. So just go to centralfarmmarkets.com and find out all that information. All right. Okay, Thanks, Mitch. Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. All right. Paul. All right. Take care. All right, buddy. We're going to flip over, and I can see Paul. Hello, Hi, Paul. So hey, guys. You are, How are you? You're the entrepreneur's entrepreneur, buddy. Every time I turn around, you're starting something that takes off like a rocket. Um, but 
Let's talk about widget wines. Well, no, let's not you talk want? about widget wines. We have some time with Paul. Paul, let's just let's talk not. about how you got to widget wines because we know you from Brain Food, which was this incredible charity. You did a huge event every year with all the chefs. Um, and then you changed lanes and did a different business. And now you're changing lanes again. So can we just kind of encapsulate what you've been doing? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, and thanks for having me again. Um, you know, like I said to Nikki the other day in an email, I feel like this show is like a, a career uh, chronology for me, right? Um, and so I think folks know that I spent, you know, 20 years in a nonprofit sector, the last 15 at Brain Food, which used food to teach life and job skills to DC young people. Um, and through that, I got so connected to the hospitality community, which you guys know and love just like I do. Um, and, and that community was hugely supportive of us and our students. Um, and you know, most of my friends are, that's, that's a huge part of my friendship network. Um, and I've said, you know, that for somebody running a plucky little small nonprofit, I ate and drank better than anybody, um, I knew, right. Cause I had these great friendships and, um, and always got access to the best food and drink around the city and wanted to stay connected to that after brain food was over. Um, you know, I always had an entrepreneurial streak. I had a business that I that I ran and sold before I got in the nonprofit world. And and running a nonprofit, if you're not an entrepreneur, you're not going to survive, right? Like we we were always launching a new program every two years. We had a snack food business that was run by students. And so, you know, we're we we've talked about people pivoting um, during COVID, obviously. But if you're running any organization, you better be pivoting all the time. You need to be taking in new information and deciding if if the old model still works. And so. So that's a pretty natural thing for me. Um, I think when brain food ended, I felt like I wanted to have a little more time and a little more control, right? You're, you're sort of buffeted by, by external things at running a small nonprofit. You're always undercapitalized and wanted to, I wanted to own things. Um, and also selfishly, I wanted to not be responsible for a whole bunch of young people and a payroll every two weeks. Like that's pretty exhausting. And and right. hopefully Widget Wine will take off and we'll get to that point again where we have a payroll. But I wanted to worry a little bit more about sort of my immediate family for a little while and, and sort of take a step back from those responsibilities. Um, and so it was like, what can I, what can I own? What can I, you know, uh, build from scratch again? So we started small, like we made a small investment in Three Stars, um, which was kept us connected there. We made a small investment in Gravitas and Baker's Daughter, which kept us connected there. Okay. Um, and then it was, you know, we started WorkChew, which is remote workplace in restaurants and hotels, um, which is going really well. I'm just a shareholder at this point now. So I'm sort of like officially a dabbler now, you know, I'm doing a whole bunch of different things and it allows me to kind of chase the bright, shiny object periodically and try something new and different. Okay, so now we're at something new and different and you've gone into wine. Yep. Why, I mean, why wine? I mean, it's not like DC doesn't of wine stores what is it that you were like i can do something different here i've got something new yeah i think it, it honestly grew out of just a bunch of conversations with friends and neighbors like two of the partners live 20 feet from me like there's one row house between us um and it started with conversations about we'd all traveled and discovered this great product whether it was wine or something else you could never find it once we got home and that was sort of the yeah. initial thing that we all sort of were wondering there has to be a way to sort of solve this problem to get access to this stuff but most, as you know, most producers around the world are tiny, right? They're low volume, you know, operations and they're not looking for a wide distribution. Um, but there is some cool stuff that if you help them navigate that process, they do want to sell outside their home market if they have, if they're, if they have just enough volume. And so it became like, let's solve that problem. Let's find this wine for ourselves and our friends first. 
And then, mm-hmm. you know, with, with COVID, with, with sort of a couple of things happen, right? Millennials are now at a stage where they're drinking more wine and drinking better wine. And they're also interested in new and different to be experiences. Fair, some millennials are 40. Like millennials are right. not the 20, you know, my son is 20. Like he's not a millennial. He's whatever right. his age, you know what I mean? Like millennials yeah, I, are married with children. Correct. And so I, I use that as too broad of a term, right? It's really just other the sort of next generation beyond baby boomers are, are moving into that phase where they're more interested in learning about wine. They have more disposable income and they're, they're extremely comfortable with buying online that they don't need the bricks and mortar experience. And then COVID sort of amped all that up, right? Where everyone was buying almost everything online. And so all those things sort of converged for us to say, let's do this. Now, the challenge of COVID is we want this to be a relationship-based business for us. And we want to go to wineries and get to know the winemaker. And so that's a little tougher for now. I think we're, we're almost there. Um, and like the perfect experience for us now is because it's local. We've been going to Virginia wineries because we can drive there. and The weather's been decent enough that we can do tastings outside. Um, and so like to give you sort of the prototypical example of how we want this to work, like Gabrielle Rouse is one of our Virginia wineries. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, they're in Charlottesville, they have some great stuff that we really love, but they're, they're mostly small productions, right? Small runs. And so we have this sparkling rosé that we're selling that is moving really fast. It's our best selling wine, but we bought his last six cases yesterday. Like that's going to be gone in a couple of weeks and it won't exist until next year again. But he actually delivered the wine to us last night. And let me just finish once. And, and we had dinner with him and we learned like now he's going to bottle three other rosés and we're going to go down there next week and taste those. And so it's a chance for us to really get to know what's coming out in small runs that will give access to our customers that they won't find. They won't find it at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or anywhere else. Okay, Paul, I got to cut you off. We have to take a break. Okay? okay. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. When we come back, we're going to learn more about how you can buy wines from Widget Wines. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And we are talking to the genius innovator behind Widget Wines, Paul Dom. Paul, um, uh, we want to know how people can actually find you. And you apparently got some good events planned. So let's hear about all that. Yeah, so the easiest thing is just go to widgetwine.com, W-I-D-G-E-T, wine.com. Um, you can see all of our uh, wine offerings. You can see our events there. Um, one of the things we want to do is we want to offer experiences for our consumers as well. And so we're doing food and wine pairings with our restaurant partners. You know, back to the earlier conversation, we have great relationships. So we've done two events with Maidan already. Um, our next event is with Astro. So we're doing fried chicken, uh, biscuits, jalapeno slaw, and cherry blossom donuts with sparkling wine. Um, which is, fun. I think, going to be really fun. Uh, you know, we're are trying to make one. Are they in-person events or uh, are they home. virtual events? Yeah, these are like, we'll deliver to your house. Some of them are, we do Zoom, some we won't. So some it's just us, us sort of being, um, you know, part of being an entrepreneur is doing everything. So now I'm essentially an Uber Eats driver, right? So we're picking up food and, and delivering with wine. Um, you know, you got to do everything in the beginning. Um and so, so the Astro, you know, fried chicken one will, will just be anybody who wants to order food will deliver it to their door. Um, and that's like a pretty cool thing. You can choose, you know, white and dark meat and all that kind of stuff. And then pick your sparkling. It starts at $39.99 with, for dinner and a bottle of wine. Um, so there are a few choices. And that's on uh, next Thursday, April 22nd. Um, so if you go to our website okay. or if you go to our Instagram, which is just at Widget Wine, you can find the link there as well. Um, and then our a week, event two weeks post that on May the 6th, we're going to do it with gravitas. So we're going to do sort of mix and match of, you know, we're going to do a burger and, and Pinot Noir, you know, sometime soon, but also fine dining Michelin star like Maidan and gravitas and give people, you know, access in a bunch of different ways. 
smart. Love it. Really okay. Smart. Well, next time we'll have you back on, we'll talk more about how you're sourcing your wines and how you're getting the wines to the public and educating the public on the kinds of wines that you have, because that's such an integral part of what you're doing. Uh, Paul Dom, Widget Wines, thanks so much. Well, there's an old saying that necessity is the mother of invention, and our next guest is the is the epitome of that. She's the personification of that. Uh, Jasmine Norton is the owner of the Urban Oysters. Uh, she's the only black female owner, owner of an oyster bar in the country, and her business ran aground during COVID, but like very many smart hospitality business survivors around the nation, uh, in a fail or innovate environment, she did, she innovated and she succeeded. So Jasmine, welcome to the show. Hi Jasmine. Thanks. Hi, thank you both so much for having me. So Jasmine, a couple of questions. I mean, how did you get into the industry? Like, was your family really into the industry? Are you just like a diehard foodie? Like how did you start in the hospitality industry? Um, so I would say it's, it's a combination of a few things. So I worked in hospitality prior to uh, starting my oyster bar, but I worked in audiovisual. So I was always in in hotels and things of that nature. I worked in D.C. I worked in uh, in uh, Times Square in the city in New York City, um, as well as having a family that loved to cook, loved seafood. Of course, being from Maryland is kind of like a, a requirement to like seafood. <laughs> I'm always so shocked when I don't when I meet people who don't. Um, so I was always in, you know, in close proximity with a lot of chefs and things like that. Um, and so I've always had, you know, an interest in cooking because of my family. But, you know, being able to take like those family traditions along with, you know, a modern way of doing things with these, you know, very uh, creative chefs that come out of the Four Seasons and, you know, places like, like New York City, it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Uh-huh. And so where did oysters come from for you? Like, is your family from Maryland? Were you guys big oyster eaters? Or what is, you know, like, is it a part of your family dining? So, yeah, oysters. I I was introduced to my first oyster when I was about seven years old. Um, my dad is a very avid oyster eater. He taught me how to shuck oysters. He even introduced me to my first oyster. Um, I wouldn't say that it was a constant common thing you know on the dining room table um but just you know just being an african an, Amer- an african-american period and being able to have the experience at such a young age is very rare even today um and so that was really the motivation behind um starting an oyster bar because you know it seems there is this lack of access or exposure to oysters i mean we eat everything else you know we eat crabs we eat snow crab legs, we eat all these different things, lobster, um, but there's some sort of reservation or hesitation when it comes to oysters. Um, you know, even friends, when we would go out on the weekends, they will always want to go to your standard dive bar or, you know, a place with wings and everything but oysters. Um, so when I did decide that I was no longer getting the fulfillment from my audiovisual career um, and I wanted to take on my, my hobby of enjoying the cook, I wanted it to be oysters because I felt like there was a major deficit in a, in a major, like, you know, uncharted territory with people having these reservations for oysters and they actually had never had them. Um, so I felt like, you know, it was no reason for it. And I wanted them to love oysters like I did, you know, since I was a child. So, But that's, 
that, but I mean, you know, that's how some of these things happen, right? And I yeah. love that you not only wanted, you had a passion, but you wanted to share your passion. Um, because oysters do get a bad rap, but they're so important, right? They're so important. Well, you know, to they, they, they look like eyeballs and they're raw and, and you know. And, <laughs> but you can cook them. They're yeah. so versatile. Well, and you do some special things with oysters. I think we should ask about that. Tell us some of your, uh, your, your, oyster uh, your interesting approaches to oysters. Yeah, so, you know, I've always had the belief that when you, I mean, and even for myself, that if you ever want to, you know, introduce some unfamiliar things to a person, there still has to be some familiarity in it. Um, so, you know, I started to look into how they prepare oysters in New Orleans, which are like these char-grilled, fully cooked oysters. That's the yeah. very first. That's the very first reservation that anybody has, or you know, with when it comes to oysters. They don't want them raw. They think they look slimy. They, you know, they taste slimy. It's always a textural, you know, uh, reservation behind it. So my thought was, you know, let's address that by fully cooking them, you know, putting things that we're accustomed to having on anything else, uh, like butter and cheese and bacon and barbecue sauce. Um, so I kind of took that way of pre preparing oysters and like made it my own. So we have four different flavors that we, um, that we present right now in our menu so we have and so we create, created these you know cool names so they wouldn't be you know forgotten and people would always you know have a, a memory behind their experience with them so we have cheese louise and so that one is basically like flipping the idea of the phrase like cheese louise Right. Um, and the reason is like it's like over the top because it's like so many different cheeses so many different white cheeses and that that particular one. And then we have uh, what we call BBC, which is bacon barbecue cheddar. So that's the one that is very much, I mean, it's like ribs. You think of ribs when you, you know, think of bacon and, you know, or barbecued food, or you think of like loaded fries. Right. <laughs> you think of loaded fries, you think of a cheeseburger. And so instead it's just on an oyster. So like, why not? Um, then we have uh, two flavors that don't have, um, dairy in them or to some extent well they don't have cheese in them so we have a teriyaki one that's completely dairy free and that one is uh with scallions and wonton um and teriyaki sauce and then we have a, a spicy one called volcano oil that has like this chili garlic uh butter like this sambal and that actually was created out of a pop-up that we did in, in uh, providence rhode island wow that's the right there now, where was your restaurant? Because right now your restaurant is not open, correct? No, so our restaurant is not open in the in the capacity that it once was, but we are still uh, open. Uh, we actually never closed. We've modifi modified our hours. We've moved things of that nature. We closed our brick and mortar, but we're working out of a, a Hyatt brand hotel called Hotel Revival in Mount Vernon, in the Mount Vernon community of, of Baltimore. Sure. Um, but our, our brick and mortar was in uh, a neighborhood called Locust Point. Well, Locust Point, isn't that where uh, Under Armour is building that whole new, new So it's just outside. So Kevin Plank bought about, I was going to say, he bought a bunch of land on the, on the harbor. Is that Locust, is Locust Point near there? Yes. So it's literally maybe about five minutes away. So, Kevin Plank, he uh, bought a lot of land in what's called Port Covington, right? Um, which is literally, I can look out of my window and see it. Um, 
but he does have a, some campus in Locust Point as well. But the cool thing about Locust Point, though we, you know, we no longer, you know, call it home for our restaurant, is that um, Locust Point was once an industrial area, and like right. there is some connection to oysters on a small scale. Um, so like the very shopping center that our uh, oyster bar was in, um, there used to be it used to be a um, in the on the back side of the shopping center was Phillips manufacturing facility. Um, and then down the street on Key Highway, which is now the Baltimore Museum of Industry, was once uh, Platt's Canning Company. And they canned pre-shucked oysters. They would shuck the oysters and can them and send them out to different places. If you were to go into that campus right now at the museum, they still have oyster shells that are all across the property. Isn't that um, cool? Jasmine, very, very cool. we're going to run out of time. So I want people to know what you're doing right now and where they can find you. Absolutely. So we are um, operating the Urban Oyster outside, I'm sorry, within uh, the Hotel Revival at uh, 101 West Monument Street. So okay. right now we are doing uh, curbside and carryout. Um, but actually in the next week or two, the hotel will be activating some outdoor seating for us to do like limited table service. So I'm really excited about that. Um, just to kind of be able to get back personable with our customers. Um, but we also opened an, an oyster, I'm sorry, a burger bar um, back in December in Hamden. Um, so, you know, just kind of expanding a more uh, a way for people to, to be able to experience us on a different level of more common American food. Oh, oh, did you say Hamden or Camp, like Camden Yards? I couldn't. Ham, Hamden, Hamden. <laughs> okay, it's gotcha. a great area. We love yeah. it up there. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Tell everybody where they can find you quickly online and on Instagram. All right. So you can find us at www.theurbanoyster.com. We are at The Urban Oyster on Instagram and Facebook. Great. Excellent. Thank you for your time today. We're so excited Thank to learn you. about all that's happening for you. And we hope you'll come back and join us maybe when the pandemic is really over. Yeah, because you can come in studio and bring oysters. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Absolutely. You guys here. like oysters? Yeah. Okay, this is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a second. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And uh, we have another feel-good story for you about people that uh, survived and conquered despite the pandemic. Um, spouses and business partners, Jennifer Ernest and Jamie Ivanik, uh, owned a, a real a hit down in Jacksonville, the Chef's Garden Catering and Events. They were doing catering, not just down in Jacksonville, but all over for presidents. They did one for President Bush and for many other dignitaries. And COVID hit and millions of dollars of revenue went down the drain. And instead of running off to Brazil and living in a hut, they decided to, to reinvent themselves and they started um, uh, a, a, an online cooking class. Okay, why don't we get into well, wait, her? Just, 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 this just, is just. the longest introduction I love ever. It. But look Please. at that. Look at okay. how she's smiling. Okay. And, they, because... and they survived and conquered. So Jen, welcome to the show. Hi, Jen. Let's get a little background on you and Jamie and And, and your business. And Let's business. talk pre-COVID. What was cool. the business before COVID? Well, first, thanks, David and Nikki, for having me here. I'm excited to be able to share our story. So we owned a we own a catering and event planning company. My mom started it in 2001 when I went off to college. I joined her in 2005, and my husband joined us in 2012. So a family business. We are passionate about creating amazing events, um, food-centric events with awesome service, 
And um, we were at the peak of our business. You know, we were expecting 2020 to be our busiest year ever. Um, we were going into our busiest spring season. We had just wrapped up one of our best events ever. It was 300 people. We had 45 team members there. We did synchronized service, three courses with wine pairings. And at that event, somebody started putting hand sanitizer, like tucking them under like the floral like arrangements that we had. Um, and the following week, people started calling asking what we were going to do about COVID. Um, and we watched, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars of business cancel in um, a matter of a week's time. And then the remainder of our business, you know, really canceled um, soon after that. It just kept canceling. And so what did you guys, I mean, listen, the catering business is not, you know, the big stories are not about catering and events as much as it is about restaurants, right? Right. Smaller businesses. Uh, So what did you guys do? Like back in March and April of a year ago, how did you sort of take a step back and say, okay, that money is never coming in? So we, and and just, yeah. And just because I, I forgot to mention this, we do have a cafe space. So, you know, it's, interesting the spaces the business um the the event world i think was the entire restaurant and hospitality industry has been hit really hard in many ways i um think that the catering business has been hit even harder than the restaurant industry having both you know the restaurant shuttered um the the museum that we're in closed completely so we watched that shutter completely but events once restaurants were able to reopen um events, people weren't comfortable gathering in large spaces, you know, like in large groups. So we've seen an even bigger impact on that. So we watched it disappear. We had no timeline for when it was going to come back. Um, we well, and I think like- if I can interject for a second to give people a broader idea, I mean, it's not just weddings and bar mitzvahs, there's galas and business functions. And I mean, the, it's the gamut of entertaining, right? I mean, the, I, there's so many celebrations that people bring a caterer to or a hotel, you know, or working with hotels or, or charitable fundraising. There's so many and they dried up immediately. And it's, you know, it's amazing. Absolutely. And really like watching the social business was the business that tried to hold on longer, you know, was trying to figure out solutions and is the business that is coming back faster, but corporate and nonprofit business where they feel a real responsibility to their clients their employees, um, you know, that business is still far off in the future, I believe, for coming back for us um, in an in-person setting. So, yeah, I mean, it just, it went away. And our business was based on large in-person events. So it wasn't like delivery or drop-off business. It was large events. Um, and so we watched that kind of go away. The blessing for us in some ways is that we had a weekend that my husband and I were actually supposed to go out of town. It was the weekend after this large event when we watched COVID kind of coming our direction. And so we were panicked. I mean, we have a team of, you know, um, 25 plus full-time employees. And we were like, what are we going to do? And we didn't know how long we needed to be able to kind of hang on for and what to do. Um, We knew that it was important to us to keep our team together because our team in our business, it's really hard to cultivate a great team that cares about your clients the same way that you do, that treats each event like its own. And so we're like, we got to figure out how we keep our team together. It's not just about keeping our business intact, it's about keeping our team together. And my husband said immediately, we've got vehicles, we've got staff, gas is great. We need to offer an, a meal delivery program. And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. 
And I felt like there still needed to be something else um, to create a sense of like connection. And I was scrolling on Facebook and a friend said, who's meeting me for a virtual happy hour. And that's where I was like, Jamie, we can do this. We can do virtual cooking classes. We can deliver all of the ingredients to people's doorsteps um, and then meet virtually and cook with them and make it like a party. Cause our business is events. It's creating like a great time. It's, it's about the meal as well as the company. Um, and so we were able to do that. And we started just in the local Jacksonville market. Um, our team, we switched our website to a e-commerce site where people could actually purchase classes and meal delivery. And so people started through Google search finding us. And we had a firm out of New York reach out and ask if we would deliver ingredients to their summer associates all over the country. And we, of course, said, yes, we can do that, even though we had no idea how. Um, but I think that's what, a you know, this industry teaches you to be resourceful. Uh, it teaches, you know what I mean? Like it teaches you not to be afraid of a challenge. And so we took it on. And from there, we rolled out um, where we now ship our kits all over the country. And it's broadened our sense of community in the sense that we have people now like California, Canada, you know, like not just in the Jacksonville market. And we found that we love this ability to connect with people. It's different when we're doing large events, we're, create, we're catering to a large audience of people. We're really working with that one client and these classes, we get to meet so many people uh, on a more intimate level. What I think is really interesting, it's almost a silver lining to your business, right? So while a bunch of money did dry up, I'm not taking that away from you, this could be another revenue source going forward once events come back in. And it also opens you up to a whole other market of people that would have never known of you. Absolutely. It's grown our brand. I mean, I never would have been on this podcast with you all. You know what I mean? Like had this not happened, you know I mean? It's like a way that we have relevancy in other markets. Um, and it was really hard, but it also brought us like a level of creativity that I sometimes think you don't have, like, unless you need it. Um, and it made us reevaluate our business and our business. You know, I think that's important when you're in business is to always say like, how do I stay relevant? How do I serve my community? And there was a lot of ways that we didn't feel like catering, we felt like our market was kind of um, in this North Florida, Southern Georgia area. And this pushed us to say, how do we change our market? How do we expand it? Um, and so it's definitely been our silver lining um, in that regard. And we're excited to keep them going. Well, you were very nimble, but that, now you're going to have to be doubly nimble because when COVID goes away, you've got the, now these two rev major revenue channels and you're going to have to figure out how to maintain you're not going to get me sleep. How to maintain the the online cooking classes while you get back to catering? So we're there right now. We're in, we're based in Florida, so we know that Florida like has been pushing along like in certain ways a little bit faster than others. So oh so yeah, so we've heard about that. We have yes. heard. <laughs> we've heard about it. So we're um, social events are back, and you know we kind of booked some of our business not knowing when things would come back, and based on so much stuff changing, and so we're finding that right now that like. We are um, in-person events are back. Our virtual classes are happening. Everybody's talking about the staffing crisis that's happening all over. And so, you know, we are adapting yet again. And that's kind of what we're reminding our staff is that, and our team is that, and ourselves is that we're fortunate to be in a position that we're having to figure out how to, how to manage the business that's coming our direction um, and how to make it make sense for us. Um, and to kind of stay grounded in gratitude um, for what it is, because it is, it is, we are tired right now. We are all those memes on, on social, like check in on your restaurant people is very, very true right now. Right. 
So tell people about how they can get in on your virtual classes. I mean, clearly you're you're doing ones that people can order, but are how else does it work? Yes. Let's walk through it. Thank you for asking that question. So there's a couple ways. We have both public and private classes. Uh, private classes, we have a lot of corporate and nonprofit groups that have used our classes in place of in-person events. Um, and it's allowed us to work with really cool companies like Google and TikTok and Pinterest. Um, and so, and to do some, some awesome things. And so in the, the private setting, you select a date with us. Um, you send us the list of your recipients. We send out all the ingredient kits and then we meet on a virtual platform. Additionally, we have public classes and we host about two to three public classes a month, um, usually on a Thursday or Friday. Um, so anybody can register for those. You can also get small groups together. So this is perfect for, you know, two to 10 family members that want to connect from across the country and you can do a private party room. So you do the same thing. You register online, you input all of your information, 48 hours before class, we overnight a kit to everybody um, so that it arrives the day prior to class with all of the ingredients that you need to cook with us. So down to the salt and pepper. So you're not hunting and gathering for any of the ingredients. It also allows Jamie and I to kind of pick some of our favorite ingredients that we want to showcase to people. Um, you know, we're from the South, so we love shrimp and grits. So like with our grits, shrimp and grits class that's coming up, we're using these awesome like gala grits that you can't get on shelves anywhere. Um, and then we get together on a virtual platform. Um, we meet through Zoom usually. And when we go there, we go through, we start from like the very basics. What, what is in your kit? What equipment we need? We make sure everybody has it. And then we start cooking together and we end with some great plating techniques. Um, and we make sure that people have fun in the process. What does it cost? So most of our classes are about $95. Um, and that is for a kit for two people. So really affordable when you consider this is an awesome date night, family night. Um, you truly, you can't go buy the ingredients, you know, like in the bulk that you need to buy them in order to make these classes for the price that we're able to send everything to you. So if you want to do like a private party for six people online, uh, it's $95 a person. Still? It's 95 per kit. So you yeah. couldn't do a private group with us. We do have minimums for our private groups, but you could do a private party room as one of our in one of our public classes. So for that same kit price. We are so excited about all that you guys are doing. Yeah, um, cool. Tell everybody how they can find you and your business because what was once a sort of local catering company is now national, which is amazing. Yeah. Today, America, tomorrow, the world. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Thank you. That's what we that's what we hope for. So um, we have recently rolled out new social channels just for our cooking classes. So okay. anybody that can go and like and follow, we're um, trying to recruit new friends as we go. So our cooking classes, you can find us Jen and Jamie on Instagram and Facebook. And that's J-E-N-A-N-D. J-A-M-E-Y, or you can also follow along um, to our catering company, Chef's Garden Events on Instagram and Chef's Garden Catering on Facebook. Excellent. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Booty and the Beast. When we come back, Spike Mendelson is with us, and hey. he is creating kitchens. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and on uh, over the last couple of years, you've You've met the myth. You've met the legend. You're going to meet the man again. It's Spike Mendelson, uh, top chef alum. He's got Plant Burger. He's got Good Stuff Eatery. He's got We The Pizza. And now he's designing kitchens for a home building. What can't he do? What can't this man do? He's Superman. Spike, welcome back to the show. 
<laughs> Thank you, guys. It's always great to be back here on the show. I, I always love coming and talking with you. So, so thanks for having me. Of course. So, tell us how you wound up. Like, what have you been doing the past year? We have a pandemic going on. Uh, you have your fingers in so many pots. Uh, what had you decided to do during the past year that was working for you with your restaurants and everything that was happening? Yeah, no, it's been, you know, as you know, it's been a tough, it's been a tough uh, year or year and a half now, almost, I don't even know what, I, I, I lost track of time for, for the industry as a whole. So, you know, we've definitely made a couple adjustments for our existing restaurants and, and how we operate in a, you know, in a pandemic. Uh, so for instance, uh, you know, on the Hill with Good Stuff Eatery and We The Pizza, we, we, we just really saw a lot of bump up in sales at We The Pizza. So we decided to kind of close the other two brands for, for a little while and, and do some renovations and keep We The Pizza open. You know, we minimized menus. Uh, we definitely had to convert to a lot more on, uh, online sales, right? So, you know, making sure we, we kind of tighten up, you know, uh, how we, you know, reach customers and, and how we, you know, package foods and deliver it properly. So it's been, you know, it's been like a, you know, I, I think our industry has always been like very resilient. So, you know, I think, you know, it's been a little bit of, sh of a shift, but we're all kind of learning and, and kind of, you know, kind of regrowing. And, and then on other brands, Nikki, to, to the point like Plant Burger, it's, it's been, you know, we were very lucky that we were um, in, a, you know, inside of a Whole Foods when we first opened the first one. So, we happen to be in, you know, uh, you know, a, a, uh, a grocery store that didn't really close. They were deemed essential. So we actually managed to have growth with Plant Burger. So, um, so yeah, so that's been fun. And, so you know. What about Plant Burger is, I mean, so your timing is so perfect. And I know that's not what we're talking about today, but like, you know, lessening our intake of meat is becoming more and more, if not some like, hippy dippy talking point, but people are really trying to, it is more mainstream. So how did you wind up in the kitchen design biz? Like, did somebody approach you or you're like, I have ideas, which I know that's very you. So what happened first? Well, well, honestly, it was, it, the request came through like my website, you know, my wife, Cody, uh, which you guys have met, I, I did a really great job kind of like, you know, I, you know, what was happening, Nikki was, I, I was, I wasn't, I was predicting a little bit of a bubble in the restaurant industry where there were so many uh, amazing restaurants opening, but at a very high rate, especially not only in DC, but kind of all over the place. And I felt like there was going to be like a little bit of a roof. So I wanted to kind of diversify my portfolios and the type of restaurants I have, like I opened. So that's kind of why I did Vim and Victor in the sports complex. Right. And right around that time when I had grown Vim and Victor, I had posted a lot of, of the content on my website because I, I kept on updating the website with different new new brands I was doing. And Glenn, which was a marketing director for um, Van Meter, came across my website and loved kind of the aesthetics of Vim and Victor. And it felt like that really matched, you know, the, you know, you know, the, uh, you know, the Van Meter look in, and kind of design. So he kind of just cold reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in designing kitchens. And I said, are you kidding me? Like, that's kind of like a, like a chef's dream to kind of, kind of use all your knowledge in the restaurant and apply it to your own in-house kitchen. And especially for the masses. So I thought it was a really cool project and, and it just came at a really crazy opportune time when houses, you know, real estate's going crazy right now. People are moving outside the cities. 
they're looking to cook more at home, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the pandemic. So they're looking at their kitchen as a whole in a whole new way, right? Not only a place to like make a meal, but kind of even hang out more or get work done or have a Zoom meeting. So, you know, the kitchen designs that we've put put up are really cool. They're very unique. And they kind of use a lot of like what I've learned over time and, you know, where, you know, sometimes you have this golden triangle rule and the designing of a kitchen, right, where the dishwasher needs to be next to the sink in the island. And I kind of broke that whole rule up a little bit and, and segregated little areas. So, you know, one of the coolest things I think we've done is we've taken your ordinary pantry room where you usually just put shelves and we've completely converted it to like a secondary kitchen kind of a prep room. We've opened it up with some beautiful windows so you can get daylight in there. We added countertops and shelving. Um, we put refrigeration and freezers in there. And it just makes it kind of a really cool place to do a lot of your prep work, kind of hide all the dirtiness before the, the party, you know? So. so when you're entertaining, all the dirt can be in the back. I love the idea of a prep, like a prep kitchen area as a part of your beautiful kitchen, right? Because yeah. you can kind of throw yeah. everything back there. Um, what are some of the trends that you put in that you were like, this is what I want in my dream kitchen? How, what were some of the things that you were like, I want this? Yeah, well, you know, focusing and like breaking up the the island, the typical island. So we, we have like three different, you know, uh, different designs for the island. One, which is one of my favorite is kind of, you know, Everyone wants to kind of sit at the chef, the chef table in the kitchen usually, right? When you go to a restaurant and they want to get closer to the kitchen. So right. I figured that, you know, especially for, you know, the families that, you know, have to like balance cooking and watching their kids and so forth. So we put a, a little bit of a, an L-shaped uh, island and nook, which doubles as like a prep area and a seating area. And it's kind of inside the kitchen. So, you know, you can have your kids you know, at breakfast or take your newspaper or open your laptop, do your first Zoom meeting over coffee and kind of be in your kitchen. It's a great little spot for menu planning. I get a lot of inspiration for my menus when I kind of just hang out in my kitchen and I have my cookbooks available. Uh, the other cool thing is open shelving, right? I, you know, a lot, there's a lot of cabinetry uh, in, in kitchens usually. So you definitely want to have some of that still available, but open shelving above like the cook area and cooktops is something I love because not only could could you put your pots and pans there, uh, but you can also have ingredients and spices and different tools that kind of inspire, um, you know, your your next menu at home. So, Spike, I got a question because Van Meter builds new homes. So, what's the square footage of the kitchens you're designing, typically? Oh, uh, I mean, the t- I mean, they have all sorts of different models of homes, right? So they, they have the Timberneck, which is a very big kitchen, I'd say. It's at least about 250, 300 square feet, uh, you know, inside of a home. It kind of bleeds out into the living room and dining room, very open space, but they vary. They, they very much vary from all, all, all sizes and, and shapes, you know? So, so again, we wanted, you know, and you don't have, the, the cool thing about the package is you don't have to get everything, right? There's like a little bit of snap-ons, uh, and you can really kind of go in there and design and build what you think is best for you. We have like the dream spike kitchens, which come in different variations. They all include the, you know, the renovated pantry as a prep room. But then you can have like a double island. You can have like an island and a bar island. You can have this L-shaped island if you want. You know, yeah. you can opt out for the, the open shelving or not, uh, you know. So 
it's very unique in the way that you can kind of play around with it. And, and then like my inspiration, you know, for like colors is I, you know, I based it off the elements of the earth. So earth, wind, fire, and, um, and wind. And those are kind of the color, uh, palettes I kind of went with. So the, you know, the earth one is very earthy tones, uh, and granular. The wind is like, seems like whimsical and, and it has like, uh, you know, nice, uh, nice different tiles that emulate kind of wind patterns, for instance. So it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I don't have to tell you, I, I, I'm sure I'm showing the excitement right, right here with you guys on air. So it's, it's been a, it's been a great project. Do you spec the appliances or do you say to people, you know, we advise you to buy, you know, Braun or Whirlpool or whatever, you know, how do you do that? Yeah. So, yeah. So we, we spec us, you know, Van Meter works for, with a certain group of appliances at, definitely for your stovetops and your refrigerations and think of that sort. So we, mm-hmm. we definitely give, give you a little bit of a range here. Like, you know, it, it, it just depending on your budget and where you want to kind of put your money towards, you know, some people are less about the, the heavy duty appliances, but really like the elements of the designs of the kitchens. Right. So, you know, you kind of pick a, you know, you kind of pick what you want. So, um, very quickly, we have one minute left. Tell everybody where they can find these designs, how they can see them, and um, how they can possibly execute them. Yeah, so you can definitely go check out com. They're called Spite Kitchens. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can kind of check out all the different models and this and that. And the other cooler thing is, is that I, I'm really, you know, I, I'm, I'm folding myself into the lifestyle of Van Meter as well. So we've already done like a, a ton of hacks where you can kind of go online and check out like secret recipes that I developed through, for Van Meter, tips and tricks in the kitchen. And we're going to keep up updating recipes and holidays. So really it's not, you know, it, it extends above and beyond out of the kitchen you know the the spiked effect is through and through all through van meter so go check out the website i hope you enjoy what we put together and and you know i look forward to seeing you guys and walk you through uh, some of these models oh well, i can't wait one quick last question van meter has new homes for people with existing homes is there a way to get a spike kitchen absolutely there's definitely a way to get a spike kitchen with with existing kitchens and existing homes uh, you know, we haven't rolled it out 100% yet. You know, we, we definitely want to uh, get these, these, this first iteration launched. But there is a program within Van Meter called Design and Build, which is specifically for right. existing homes. Like so, yes, and we could do a consultation, uh, one-on-one spike con- con- consultation for those, which would be fun. Good. Get over to our house. We'll, we'll call you. Okay, Spike, it's always a treat to have you. You always are doing interesting and fascinating things, and I love this uh, current venture. It's amazing. We want to thank everybody for joining us today on Foodie and the Beast. Uh, we really had a wide array of guests who are really doing fascinating things during a really quick-moving and changing times. Don't forget to check out the thelistareyouonit.com for everything happening in the D.C. metro area from new restaurants to packing a picnic to all the promos the restaurants are doing for Mother's Day. And, of course, all the chefs who are gathering together to uh, do fundraisers to uh, end racism and hate, not just locally but nationally and internationally. Uh, thank you again for joining us. The pandemic is almost over, but you still need to mask up. You still need to dip your butt in hand sanitizer, and you still need to socially distance. And you need to get those shots. Be safe, and we'll see you next week.